0: Well, welcome to part four of our series, Looking at Jonah. Uh, as I was thinking about how to start this morning, I thought, I bet what they would like to listen to and hear is some gray seals honking uh, the Star Wars theme tune and Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Uh, am I right? Of course I am. Let's, let's have a look at that. Oh 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 I was right, wasn't I? That's what you really wanted to see. Uh, well, maybe. The, it's amazing what nature can do sometimes, isn't it? Uh, and I wanted to start with that because it's amazing what nature can do. We come to this part of the story where Jonah is swallowed by a great fish, uh, and he prays a prayer whilst in that position. And, um, As I said last week, different people will look at this story in different ways. Some people will look at it as a parable, so it didn't actually happen. Other people will take it as literally true. Um, I just want to say a couple of things around that. If you think it's a parable, one of the things that I would offer as a word of caution in that is just simply this, that we need to recognize that God does amazing things. Science cannot explain Everything that happens. Uh, And if you're somebody who takes it literally, I've got a word of caution there as well. The danger of just taking something literally is you forget to look and apply for what it means for us today. You see, you can just read it as this is what happened. That's all there is to it. But actually, whether you believe this is a parable or whether you think it is literally true, in one sense, can I say, don't worry about it. Don't make too much of it. Because whichever camp you are in, or if you're in the camp that thinks I've never really thought about it, and I don't really mind too much, what we look when we read the scriptures, why is it here? Because it's got relevance for us today. And that's what we are looking at. What is the relevance for us today as we look at this account? As people who are called to go and make disciples of all nations, what can we learn from this as Jonah, who is one who was called to go to Nineveh, but decided to go in the opposite direction to Tarshish? That's what we are looking at. We're thinking about what can we learn today for us. And in that light, there are two things that I want to look at. The first is this, we we see something in this passage of Jonah's self-sufficiency come to an end. The first part of the story is about Jonah deciding to go in the opposite direction to that which God says. But also we get to this point in the story where he cries out to God in prayer, and what does he meet there? He meets God's grace. So we're going to be thinking about God's grace as well. Uh, And so what we're going to do is we're going to think about how we might at times be self-sufficient in the way that we live, and then how we can discover something more of God's grace for us. Self-sufficiency and God's grace. Let's have a look, first of all, at self-sufficiency. I guess most of you probably won't know this, but there's a list of most popular music at funerals. Um, uh, And it may not surprise you to know that over recent years, the popularity of hymns has gone right down. So that um, three or four years ago, The Lord's My Shepherd, All Things Bright and Beautiful, and Abide With Me were all in the top ten. Now none of those are. The top three has remained the top three for the last three years. Um, In third place, the third most popular piece of music to play is Somewhere Over the Rainbow by Eva Cassidy. In second place, Time to Say Goodbye by Andrea Bocelli and Sarah Brightman. In top spot, anyone want to guess? Absolutely, spot on. I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra. And um, I think there's something interesting in that, isn't there? That at a funeral, what people want to sing is or heard played is something about... I did it my way. The song talks about the fact that there are ups and downs in life and goes through a number of different ways in which that happens, having some regrets but not too many. But the most important thing in this song is that I did it my way. Uh, And I want to suggest, uh, as we look at this idea of self-sufficiency, that perhaps the song that we should be longing for is slightly different to that, It's I did it God's way, not I did it my way. But the reality is we can live life my way. In fact, that can be the aim of people and the celebration of people's life. I did it my way. But actually, what we want to be is a people who say, I did it God's way. Let's have a little bit of a look at Jonah. There's something that I didn't talk about in the first week when we spoke about running from God. And it comes in verse 3, where it says this, Jonah ran away from the Lord. So the Lord said, go to Nineveh, uh, and Jonah decides to go to Tarshish. Um, Jonah runs away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went round and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And it's this, Um, Why does it mention anything about paying the fare? Let's change the situation for a moment and imagine there is somebody serving in the army and he is commanded to board a train to go to Plymouth. And the information that we have is this, the man decided not to obey the command and rather than boarding the train for Plymouth, he paid his fare and boarded a train to Edinburgh why do we want to know that he paid his fare? It, it almost seems irrelevant. Why is it in the story? Well, one of the commentators I was, working, I was reading through uh, spoke about this. He said, actually, Jonah is in a real hurry here. Uh, and what he wants is he wants to find a ship that's sailing. Now, ships don't just sail at the drop of a hat, but he wants to go straight away. So he finds a ship that is ready to head out to Tarshish, or that's going to be its eventual destination. And he says, how much will it cost for you to set sail right now? In effect, he is chartering the boat. I want to go to Tarshish. What will it cost to set sail now? And so he gives a larger amount of money. It's not just a fare for his own fare. He is paying an amount of money to get the boat to leave right now. Now, why is that important, you might ask? Well, if that commentator is right, think of it like this. What it suggests is that Jonah is a person of means, he has money. He has the strength, the ability, therefore, to do what he wants. So God says, go to Nineveh, and he says, that's not the way I want to go. I want to go to Tarshish. What he has is he has the money to make it possible to go in the opposite direction. He can live life as he wants to live it. God says, go to Nineveh. I don't want to do that, but I have the means by which I can go in a different direction. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't need to do what God says. At least, that's what he thinks. Now, I wonder, in a society where, let's face it, in world standards, we're affluent, I wonder, how easy is it for us to be self-sufficient? You see, I would suggest one of the things that we have in society is this desire that we are in control of our own lives. This refrain, I did it my way. That's our desire. And by and large, we can make things happen to live the life that we want to live because we have the means to be able to do that. We make our choices. In fact, what can happen as well is we become people who say, I want to cope on my own. There's a strength in that. I should be able to cope on my own. I don't need other people. I am self-sufficient. It's something we see in society around us. We see a breakdown in community where maybe years ago people would have worked together to see things happen. Now we have pride that says, I should be able to do this on my own. I don't need anyone else. Uh, And it's not a big extension for that to work out in our spiritual lives where even though we might come together and praise God, we say, but by and large, I can get along in going the route that I want to travel. Okay, I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-sufficient. And what I felt God was placing on my heart to share this week is to ask us, are we living in a place of self-sufficiency? To what extent are we relying on our own strength as we live our lives? To what extent are we following God's way? Because there can be times when everything is going right, when everything is okay, when it seems like that's fine, because we can cope, and we can do our things, and we can think that we are following God even if we're not fully. I mean, let's remember, Jonah is a prophet of God, and still he chooses to live self-sufficiently. We can be followers of God. We may not be followers of God. But either way, we can decide to live in our own strength. To what extent are you trying to cope with things on your own? To what extent are you saying, actually, in the way that I try and cope with things, I'm going to do it in my way? To what extent are you willing to say, I'll go in God's way? You see what Jonah finds is in this moment now? He's recognizing that actually he has been disobedient to God. Uh, And it's not worked. I've been disobedient to God. I've gone in my own direction. Where has it led? I'm in a storm. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that all storms of life are because we've been disobedient to God. But sometimes we do bring trouble on ourselves through the decisions and the choices that we make. I think that's a fair thing to say. Sometimes we do. And Jonah's in that situation now. He knows he has brought trouble on himself because he has been deliberately disobedient to God. He's in trouble. He's tried to live his own way, and it's not worked. He's thrown overboard into the sea. It looks like it's the end of his life. And then along comes a big fish and swallows him. And we get to that point in verse 2, Jonah 2, verse 2. Where it says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. Now, I find this a fascinating thing, because to me, as I read the story, imagine you're thrown into the sea, into a deep, uh, into a real storm. You think you're going to drown. But what happens is you're swallowed by a big fish. Uh, That sounds to me like it's a bit like out of the frying pan, into the fire, but he actually recognizes within this that the Lord is at work. The Lord has heard his cry. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. From the depths where it just looked like I was going to sink and drown, the Lord responded to me. What does he find when he calls out? He finds grace. Now, there may be, before we get on to that, there may be some people here today who feel like they are in the storm. It may feel like everything that happens in life, you're either jumping from the frying pan into the fire, because it, storms are like that sometimes. You try to do one thing because things are bad, and it just ends up in, a, if not a worse situation, certainly just as bad. Let me encourage you, cry out to the Lord in prayer cry out to the Lord. What will you find as you cry out? I believe we find God's grace. We find God's grace. I like the story of um, some ministers who were meeting together, and as they were meeting, they were discussing what they found most helpful to give their most powerful prayers. Uh, And the first minister who spoke said this. Well, I find for me, it's in my hand positions and I move my hands around with prayer and I find that really helpful. So when I'm praying to God, I, I put my hands together and it's as if my prayers are going up into heaven. And uh, When I, I think God might be speaking into me, I open my hands because then I feel like I'm being receptive to what God is saying. A second minister then spoke and said, well, for me, it's different from that. For me, it's when I get down on my hands and knees. That's when I find I offer my most powerful prayers. And the third one, she said, well, actually, for me, it's a little bit different. For me, it's when I go out into God's creation and I'm walking along uh, and I I just praise God for all that he has made. Uh, That's when I find I offer my most powerful prayers to God. While they were having this conversation, there was a a phone engineer there who was fitting in a phone line for them. And he couldn't help himself any longer. He said, actually, I found the most powerful position that I ever offered a prayer from was when I was at the top of a telegraph pole and I slipped and fell and ended up dangling from my legs with the wires. That, for me, was the most powerful position to pray from. Well, well, I wonder, is what's being said in that little story simply this? The most powerful position to pray is when we need God most. Uh, And I wonder if some of us have found that, that actually the most powerful prayers we have offered have been when we have needed God the most. Jonah needs God right now. Here he is in a big fish. He needs God to come and save him. He needs God's grace. Because let's face it, he's been deliberately disobedient to God. He needs God's grace if he's to be saved. And there's two things from this prayer that I want to um, draw on. The first is this. We need to recognize responsibility. We need to recognize responsibility. Look at the format of his prayer. Jonah says, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. So a couple of things that he says there. First of all, he recognizes that God has been involved in the situation that he's in. He says, you hurled me into the sea. you have banished me from your sight. Now, what he's not doing here is he isn't blaming God. You see, one of the things, one of the reactions we can have when we go through the storms of life, even when we know we have done something to bring it on ourselves, is we engage in blame. We manage to explain why it isn't really our fault. It's what other people have done. Uh, and, and actually, sometimes when we do make mistakes and we engage and it's somebody else's fault, sometimes we're left with something. Feelings of guilt, feelings of shame, perhaps feelings of low self-esteem. Uh, and what society can encourage us to do is it, deal with it because of this. Nobody has the right to give you a moral code. Your moral code is what you want to make it to be. There is no absolute here. And so as long as you're not breaking the law, if you look at things that have happened, don't let anyone make you feel bad for the decisions you have made. You did it your way. That's good. Deal with your shame, your guilt, your low self-esteem by saying nobody has the right to speak into my life and put me down for that. I did it my way. That's what matters. I did what I thought was right at the time. That's what's important. That's the way we can be told to deal with our shame, with our guilt, with our low self-esteem. Build ourselves up. Tell ourselves that we're good. Now, I don't want to completely knock all of that, but I think the message of the Bible is a little bit different from that. When we know we've done something wrong, the Bible encourages us to hold up our hands and say, I messed up. I messed up. I got it wrong. I didn't do what I should have done. I look back on that and wished I had done things differently. And maybe at those moments, we do feel that sense of shame, that sense of guilt, that low self-esteem because we have done things wrong. But... At that moment, this is where we need to discover God's grace, because it's God's grace that deals with our shame, with our low self-esteem, and with our guilt. Because it's at the foot of the cross, as we come before our God, He says, you have messed up, but do you know what? I love you. I still love you. And we're going to look in future weeks that God is a God who gives second chances as well, and third chances, for that matter, and fourth and fifth. And so this is how we're supposed to deal with our guilt. God says, I forgive you. You messed up, but I forgive you. We have low self-esteem God says, you've got low self-esteem, listen to me, I love you so much that I would send my only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. That's how much you matter to me. That's how valuable you are. So none of us can ever say, oh, I I feel so bad about myself, I am so rubbish, because what God says to you is, I love you so much, you are so valuable, you mean so much, that I would die for you. He deals with our self-esteem, our low self-esteem. He deals with our sense of shame. Because he says, yes, you may have done wrong, but I love you. But what you can do now is live for me, live differently, and show the way that you do wish you had lived. Do it right next time. And gradually our shame can move away. And it may be that you are here today, and there are things you feel ashamed about. You may be here today, and you feel like you have got really low self-esteem. You look at things that you've done and say, how could I do this? Why am I so bad at doing this, that, or the other, whatever it might be? God wants to say to you today, he loves you. He loves you. He wants you to experience his grace. That says, when you come and when you say, I have messed up, my response is this, I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, how other people respond to us if we say, sorry, that's outside of our control. We'll look at this in the last part of our series on Jonah about forgiveness. But the important thing we need to understand is this. God's grace comes to us at that moment. We say, sorry, I've messed up. That's what Jonah is doing. He's recognizing he's messed up. He's not blaming He just says, I've been banished from your sight. I've lost sight of you. Well, you would, wouldn't you? Let's be honest, in a whale, you can't see. Or a big fish, as it says. We tend to assume it's a whale. In a big fish, you can't see very much. But God's grace is there. And so this is why what we need to do is recognize our responsibility and then experience His grace. Jonah goes on to say, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. You're the one that rescued me. He's experiencing that at this moment. You're the one who has rescued me. Uh, And he says, I will look again towards your holy temple. He must know there is grace and there is forgiveness because as I said, in a big fish, you can't see the temple. I guess I've never been in a big fish to know, but I'm imagining here that if I'm in a big fish, I cannot see the temple. But Jonah not only knows that and is experiencing that, he believes that moment will come where he can see the temple says in verse 70 when my life verse 7 when my life was ebbing away i remembered you lord and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple he knows that the lord is listening and he is experiencing grace that's what we need to do to experience grace. I'm going to begin to draw to a close now, but as I do so, did, did any of you hear the story um, of the uh, restaurant in Manchester? This is it, it's Hawksmoor. And um, what happened was there were some people dining there and uh, they ordered a bottle of wine, but unfortunately, the person who was serving, the bartender, brought the wrong bottle out. It was a bottle worth 4,500 pounds on the price list. Now, I can't imagine a bottle of wine like that at all. But 4,500 pounds. What I loved was the tweet that went with it. It said to this, as they reported this has happened, they said, to the customer who accidentally got given a bottle of wine, which is 4,500 pounds on our menu list last night, hope you enjoyed the evening. To the member of staff who accidentally gave it away, Chin up, one-off mistakes happen and we love you anyway. Isn't that great grace? You know, here they are. They've made a big mistake there. The bottle of wine was, I think, more than 20 times the cost of what they had actually ordered. Chin up. We all make a mistake sometimes. That's grace. That's grace in action. And I think God wants to bring to us grace in action. I want to leave us with thinking about this. I will sing, I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Says in the previous verse, Jonah says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. You know, when we hold on to self-sufficiency, I must cope on my own. I can do things my way. We forfeit the grace that God wants to give us. If we come before him today and say, Lord, I don't want to keep doing things my way. I want to understand more of your way and I want to go in your way. We can receive God's grace and experience the joy, the peace that that brings to us when we are caught up in issues that we can't really deal with and we're stuck with whether it's blame low self-esteem guilt these kind of shame these kind of feelings We forfeit the grace that God wants to give us when he says, come to me and experience the grace that I want to give you by what I have done for you on the cross. He does not want us to forfeit the grace that he has for us today. Instead, he wants us to join in with the song of Jonah. I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And where is he when he makes this last verse of the prayer? Still in the big fish. He doesn't know what's going to happen. The storm is not over for him yet. So he is setting his eyes on God, even while things are still uncertain. He isn't focusing on the problem, he is focusing on how big God is. And maybe some of us here today have problems that we are facing, storms of life, uh, and they threaten to overwhelm us. We're looking at how big the problems are. And what God wants to say to us today is, look at my grace, experience my grace, look to me because I am bigger than the problem. We sang at the beginning of the service, nothing's too big, big, big for his power. Nothing, no one's too little for his care. And that is the message for us today. Whatever storm of life we are going through, experience God's grace because nothing is too big for his power. And you're not too little for his care. God wants to speak over us. His grace. He wants us to experience His grace this morning. He wants us to turn to Him. And it may be if you are here today and you have never given your life to Christ. You've never said, actually, I want to follow you. I'm fed up with trying to do things in my way and head towards Tarshish. Maybe today you want to pray a prayer that says, God, I want to turn to you. It may be that you are here today and you are in a storm of life and you may want to pray, God, please rescue me. And look at how big God is in that moment. It may be that you are here today and you have been a Christian for many, many years. But actually, there's something of this idea of walking in your own strength that is just resonating with you. And maybe God is saying, stop walking in your own strength. And let's be honest, I have to say there are times when I walk in my strength rather than God's strength. I think we all do. We do battle with that every day. Maybe you want to say again today, Lord, I want to walk in your strength not my own